hey kids, you are dismissed for Sunday school. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing great. So how is everybody doing today? All right, good. You've got, you've got breath in your lungs, ready to go. Hey, listen, let me open us a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this day. And Lord, as we open up your scriptures... Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts. Lord, I pray that our heart would change beats and be less like what this world tells it to beat like and more like it would, you would want it to beat like. And so, God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for music. I thank you for fellowship. I thank you for friends. I thank you for community. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, because it transforms the heart of men. And the older I get, the more I realize that that is the biggest miracle. So God, we thank you for this day, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin at Mark chapter 8, verse 27. The title of my sermon this morning is called Title and Purpose. Title and Purpose. Um, one thing we live in is we live in a world where we work very, very hard to have a title that has all sorts of little initials after it. There's nothing wrong with that. But today we're going to talk about the Lord's true title and we're going to talk about what our title is. So open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 27. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to start at verse 27. Now if you remember last week we talked about Jesus healing a blind man in Bethsaida. And if you remember Jesus spits on his eyes, which is kind of one of those questions that Jesus does things in unusual ways. And he asked the man, what do you see? And the man says, I, I see men, but they're like trees moving around. He obviously doesn't see clearly. Jesus touches him again, and then he sees clearly. I said to you that I believe that this is a really, this, this miracle is directly pointed towards the disciples, because earlier on, Jesus says, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. And then he ends it by saying, how do you not understand See, Jesus' ministry, yes, he's ministering to the masses, but he knows his time here is short, and he's going to hand it off to these knuckleheads, and he's hoping that they will begin to see. And so Jesus is trying to work through their spiritual blindness, and he's trying to help them to understand who he is, what his purpose is, and then he wants to try and get them, all right, if you can understand who I am, and you can understand what my purpose is, then maybe you'll start to realize that you're more than fishermen. That I want you, I need you to be a part of this. 
So we find ourselves in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And this first section is kind of an exciting one because maybe for just a moment, things are starting to get a little bit sharper and clearer. Three for the road, number one is what's your title? Look with me, Mark 8, verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the town, went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea Philippi is in northern Israel, it is right, right at the foot of Mount Hermon, which is the largest uh, mountain in, in that region. Uh, it is a famous mountain from the standpoint of uh, it was often considered and often used in religious practice. Um, it's the highest mountain in Joshua chapters 11 through 13. Jesus, or God marked it as the northern limits of the promised land. It is uh, often there was uh, worship up on this mountain, but there was also pagan worship on it. King David wrote about it in Psalm 133. King Solomon, his son, wrote about it in Song of Solomon. And in this backdrop of all these little towns that are near this gigantic mountain, here's this backdrop of you know, religious practice. And Jesus is walking with these guys, and I'm sure they're looking at this mountain. And listen to what Jesus says. He asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? Who are they saying that I am? Now, one of the things I want you to know, a way Jesus operates, he'll always ask a question that's out there, and then the next question is in here. So he'll ask you, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do people think about this? And then he'll say, okay, well, now I want to know what you think. He'll always bring it home. So he says to these guys, you know, hey, what's the rumor on the street about me? What are people saying about me? And they answered him saying, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. Now, remember, we studied, I think it was in Mark chapter 6, where Herod had John the Baptist put to death. When he heard Jesus, heard about Jesus, he said, I think this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. So Herod actually started that rumor. Uh, Elijah never died. He went to heaven in a chariot and everyone believed he's coming back and they believe, well, maybe that's him or one of the prophets. So Jesus goes, all right, that's what everybody's saying. Then he turns it to him and he says, but who do you say that I am? Now, I always think the disciples, now at this point, they got to be careful about a misstep. Have you ever gotten so many questions wrong when asked by a teacher in front of a class that they could ask the most simple question in the world. Like they could say, Libby, you have one apple and then you gave that one apple away. Now, how many apples do you have? And you're going, four? Like, like you're so worried about getting the answer wrong. So you can imagine that the disciples kind of stop and I, and I imagine they kind of huddle up. All right, we don't want to mess this up because he's, He's been in a mood lately with us, and we seem to always trip up and mess this up. So, who is he? Now, think of all the things they could call him, but for this one moment, in great focus, listen to what they say. Of course, they got their spokesman, Peter. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. 
And I almost think, like, can you imagine the heavens open up and the angels go, hallelujah. And it's like, thank God. I can just imagine Gabriel going, he actually answered that right. Hey, way to go, Peter. I'm so glad I didn't strike him with lightning or something like that. He actually gets it. They're starting to learn. But look at verse 30. But Jesus strictly warned them they should tell no one about him. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Jesus says, well, who does everybody else say that I am? And they list off all these things which are all incorrect. Then they say, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And they say, we think you're the Christ. And Jesus goes, you're right on. Don't tell a soul. Now, you got to be thinking, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. If they're finally seeing clearly, isn't that what you want? Like I said, there's times where I think if Jesus was trying to build an earthly ministry, he could have tremendous testimonies at his church service. Like, can you imagine that? Hey, who would like to share something? Uh, I was demon-possessed and running around naked, and Jesus came and transformed my life. Whoa. The next one. Oh, what's your name? Oh, my name is Jennifer, and I was caught in adultery, and I was about to be stoned, and then Jesus forgave me, and everyone left, and that's why I'm here this morning. I also teach Sunday school. You know, like, I just think people, wow, that's incredible. Jesus, why would you not want them to share this truth? But here's what the problem is. If they understand Jesus' title, it doesn't matter if they don't understand his purpose. Because if you're just sharing who he is, but you don't know why or what he's up to, then you actually can do more harm than help. So, let's break this down a little bit. Let's make make it hit home. I mentioned earlier that, you know, Jesus could have many titles, and many of them are accurate. Hey, he's the son of Joseph and Mary. Hey, he's a rabbi, which means teacher. Hey, he's a miracle worker. Hey, he's a carpenter. Are all those things true? Yeah. But here's the deal. That's what everyone else probably was saying. But Jesus has other titles. I looked them up. These are just some of the titles that he has. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's the Messiah, which means the Anointed One, the Chosen One. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah. Isn't it wonderful to serve a a Lord who's both Lion and the Lamb? He's the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. He's Savior. He's Redeemer. He's the Bread of Life. He's the Creator. He's the Son of the Living God. He's the Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the Head of the Church. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of the Jews. He's the High Priest. He's the Judge. He's the Author and the Finisher of our faith. He wrote it. He finished it. He's the good shepherd. He's the word. He's the rock. He's the true vine. He's the great I am. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. Now here's my point. I think there's a lot of people out there who would go, hey, who's Jesus? And they would go, ah, he was a great teacher. It's true. Well, who's Jesus? I heard he did miracles. That's true. Well, who's Jesus? Uh, what, Joseph and Mary, their kid, 
Yeah, that's true. But that's not his only title. See, I have titles too. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle. I'm a cousin, I'm a husband. I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend. But none of those titles are as good as my true title. I'm a child of God's. I'm a child of God's. Look at this verse in John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, meaning Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Why? Because they were spiritually blurred. They don't know what they're looking at. I see men, but they look like trees. You don't see clearly. But then what does John put in there? He puts a but. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Which was what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he said to Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. And so, here's the deal. We live in a world of spiritual blur, but hopefully that but has come in and cleared your vision and cleared up a title of who Jesus is. I love to read different things, a lot of controversial things at times. And I was reading... And this guy listened, and he said, listen, if you look at influences in our world, and he lists presidents, he lists world leaders, he lists, and some of them could be negative, too. He lists, you know, tyrants and different things like that, and philosophers and all these things. And then he put Jesus in that group. And I kind of went, whoa, 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 whoa. You're missing it. Why? Because you're spiritually blurred. As a child of God, carry yourself with confidence. He will lead you in this world and you will live with him in heaven forever. Do you know his title? Do you know who he is? Because a lot of the world would go, well, I heard his teachings are really interesting. And I think the disciples finally realized, no, there's a lot more to it. Well, let's keep going because, you know, with the disciples, what's the old story? Two steps forward, what? Two steps back. So, three for the road, number two. Feed your faith with what you know to sustain you in the famines of the unknown. How many of you feel like what you know is maybe this big, and what you don't know is maybe the size of the Grand Canyon? I know I do. Feed your faith with what you know to sustain you in the famines of the unknown. So the disciples, maybe they're walking a little, their chest out, they're feeling a little bit good about themselves, like, hey, we kind of nailed that. He's the Christ. We got to figure it out. And then Jesus says, all right, well, let's keep going here, guys. I'm going to tell you something plain, straight out. You know those friends of yours that'll say, well, I don't understand the Bible because there's all these like parables and different things like that. Well, here Jesus is going to say, no parables, no trees. No fish, no farming. I'm going to tell you directly something. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes 
and be killed. And after three days later, rise again. Now, remember I told you Jesus said not to tell anyone that he was the Christ? Because maybe they understood the title, but they don't understand the purpose. And all of the Jewish nation is looking for David 2.0. They're looking for someone to right the world. They're looking for someone, hey, get rid of the Romans. Increase the kingdom. Fill it with riches. Do all these things. I mean, David was this, just this phenomenon that happened, and it could happen again. And that's what they're looking for. And all of a sudden, I think the disciples are going, well, you're the Christ. And he goes, hey, you're right. Let me just tell you what's going to go down. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again in three days. And I don't think the disciples heard the last line. Why? Because they were so offended by the first one. How many of us will hear something that's just so hard to hear that you can't listen to the end? And as soon as they hear this, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You're going to kill the Goliaths of the world. You're going to set up shop, and we're going to be like your guys. And this is going to be huge. And we're going to change. We're going to right all the wrongs. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Listen, I love the dude, but sometimes maybe you should just stick your hand in your mouth. But Peter pulls Jesus aside. Listen, I don't think he's yelling at Jesus, but I think he's going, no, 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 no. You're the Christ. The Christ doesn't do this. You're the one. You're the one who's going to fix everything. You're not going to get towards, and here's the other thing, Jesus. I know you argue a lot with the Pharisees and that, but they're not murderers. But remember last week, what did I tell you about the Pharisees? Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, I know that sometimes, Jesus, they can be very difficult and hard. You don't know the half of it. Because guess what? Jesus knows what's in the heart of men. And remember in Genesis, what's one of the worst verses in the whole Bible? When God looked upon what he created and he was grieved that he made man because he knew what was in the heart of a man. So Peter pulls him aside and says, no, 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 no. Jesus, <laughs> no, this isn't going to happen. And look at verse 33. But when he turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter now, I'm going to tell you something. If you meet with Jesus and he says a line like this, it's not great. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to tell you that any time if you come before Jesus and he looks at you and calls you Satan, that's not a great way to start a conversation up, right? So Peter's going, no, wait a minute. You just told me I was right about the Christ thing, and now you just called me Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. First off, Peter is not possessed by Satan. However, remember that Jesus describes Satan as what? The great what? Deceiver. What does a deceiver do? A deceiver doesn't make you do anything. 
He just makes you think something else. It's kind of like, I don't need to prove you didn't do something. I just need to prove it's possible you didn't do it. So when Adam and Eve are in the garden, Eve says, hey, we shouldn't eat from this. And Satan says, really? Is that what he said? Is that what he did? That's how Satan works. He sows thoughts into him. And guess what? He sowed a thought into Peter. And basically, if I had to paraphrase what Peter said, here's what Peter said to Jesus. Jesus, you don't have to go through all this hard stuff. Just be with us and be a king. Is there anything wrong with that? We're going to put up on the screen Matthew 3. It's when Jesus was tempted by Satan. I want you to look at this very carefully. Again, the devil took him up upon an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now, when I was young, I used to read that and go, that's kind of stupid. The whole world is God's. Why would Satan say to Jesus, I'll give you this? It's almost like me saying, hey, after church, Joe, I'm going to give you your car. And Joe's going, well, thanks, it is mine. No, that's not what Satan is saying here. What Satan is saying is saying, hey, Jesus, they really want a king. They want a king who will rule over them and make everything wonderful and bless them and let them flourish. Jesus, why don't you just do that? And Jesus, forget about sin. Forget about sacrifice. Forget about pain. Forget about agony. Forget about the garden. Forgetting sweating blood. Forget all about that stuff, Jesus. They'll worship you. But I get their souls. That's what he says. And what did Jesus respond to him? Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he says, listen, Satan, you may understand my title, but I am committed to my purpose. And my purpose is to do my Father's will. And I will not take the easy way out. When I was in college, I remember... Uh, my brother, Dan, was going to get married, and I had, it was right around Christmas time, and it was just during exam weeks. And I remember that uh, I had to take this exam, and I went to my professor, and I said, listen, I, I need to take this exam earlier before everyone else, uh, because I got to leave for this wedding. And the teacher was very nice. She said, all right, Eric, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set you up in a classroom by yourself, and, and you take this exam. And I said, great. I thought I was like, you know, all right, I'm just doing this on my own or whatever. So I'm sitting in this room. She's sitting at the front. She gives me an exam. I start writing. All of a sudden, she goes, oh, my gosh, Eric, I got to take care of some. Can I trust you in this room? Yeah, sure. She walks out of the room. I kid you not, and this is how Satan works. All of a sudden, a guy walks by the room, looks in, walks by, then comes back, sticks his head and looks around and goes, Hey, are you in so-and-so's class? And I said, with Dr. So-and-so, I said, yeah. He says, what are you doing? And I said, uh, well, I'm just starting this exam. I gotta, I'm taking an exam because my brother's getting married early. And he looks at me, he goes, I'm your new best friend. 
And I said, what are you talking about? I didn't even know the guy. He walks over, opens up a notebook, hands me and goes, we stole the answer key to this test that you're going to open up and take right now. He goes, Merry Christmas. And he slaps the answer key down on my desk. And I'm thinking, I could rip through this, mark all these multiple choice questions, do all these things, then whatever I put on the essay at the end, I'll probably be fine with because I will have aced everything else. And I got an A. And the kid turned around and walked out. I go, hey, hey, hold up. I said, I, I'm not going to do that. I said, I, I, I don't do those things, and uh, I'm not doing it. And he said, why? And I said, well, I gave the teacher my word. And he goes, oh, come on. And then I realized God's convicted me. And so I said, you know what, I'm a Christian. I don't cheat on exams. And I'll never forget this guy, who I didn't even know, his eyes got so dark towards me. And he grabbed it, and he starts cursing me out. And he left. And I remember, like, I sit down. I start, like, sweating profusely, right? The teacher walks in, sees me, and goes, oh, Eric, don't get so stressed. Everything's going to be fine. I'm like, listen, lady, I don't even know. But listen, Satan comes to Jesus and says, just take the easy way out. You don't have to do this. Let's make this hit home. Feed your faith with what you know to sustain you in the famines of the unknown. Let's be blunt. Life is not easy. There are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of hardships. This world is broken. We're sinful people. When we interact with one another, that sin nature comes out. If all of us stood up today and started to share some of the things that we've experienced in our life, maybe some of the things we've said, maybe some of the things we've done, how many of you would volunteer to come up here on stage, have me stick a suction cup, and your whole life come out on that screen for everyone to see? Everything you've said, everything you've thought, everything you've done came out on that screen. Who's going first? I'm not. I'm not. The world itself is broken. I believe that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember it said that God sacrificed an animal to create clothing for, man and, for Adam and Eve. And at that point, nature changed. And it became survival of the fittest. And the weaker animals destroyed the, the, the or the powerful animals destroyed the weaker animals. And the world groans. Tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes, famine, drought. I was reading this morning down in Mississippi that they've had so many problems with their water grid. And I, at first when I read it, I misread it. And I thought they said there could be a disruption in water for a lot of these towns for a year. I went, oh my gosh, a year. And people were just going crazy over this. I thought, well, for one year we can figure that. Then I reread it. It was 10 years. 10 years, because there's so many water problems. There are some answers that we have out there, but other things are really difficult. How many times have you ever sat at a really, really difficult funeral, and somehow or another, the pastor means well, but he says almost like, hey, listen, you know what, it's okay. It's not okay. It's hard. It's tough. It's brutal. Why do you think Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five 35 outside the tomb of Lazarus? Because death is hard. Life is tough. There are hard things that we will go through that will break our hearts, 
but I think it's important in those times of famine of the unknown that we cling and we feed our soul and feed our faith with what we do know. So what do I know? I know that no matter what, I'm valuable to God. Why? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. How many of you, if I said to you, hey, listen, uh, your child has been kidnapped, how much would you give to get your child back? How many of you would give every single thing you have? Why? Because they're valuable to you. You're valuable to God. He sent his son. He has a purpose for me. I'm not a mistake. So when I look at these things that I don't know and things that struggle, I go, hey, God values me and I'm not a mistake. He forgives me. He's developing me. I need to cling to these truths because guess what? There's a famine of unknowns. There are struggles that are tough. There are hardships that are going on. One of the things I've been praying for is, God, sharpen my vision for the church moving forward because for the first time in 60-some years, there are more churches closing in the United States than opening. Things are changing. People will say to me, we're a Christian nation. I go, mm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. So God, help me to lead this church to be whatever it is you want the next generation to look like in this church. I always think about the story of Job. If you ever read the book of Job, it's at times painful. A lot of times painful. This guy has gone through so many things in life. And he stayed faithful to the Lord, but at one point... He's struggling, and he's hurting, and he's in pain. How many of you have ever had prayers where as you're praying, it almost feels like you're yelling at God? Listen, God understands. He loves us. He wants us to be truthful with him. He knows the truth. He just wants us to be truthful. So Job is calling out to God, and he's angry with God. And then in Job 38, I've put this up on the screen. It says, the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will ask you questions and you shall answer me. I'm going to tell you something. I need to change my pants after that conversation. Right? Job is belly aching in, and finally God says, all right, Job, test time. You're firing off a lot of questions, but Job, I'm going to tell you something. Your questions aren't worthy of answers. Why? Because you don't know what you are talking about. So let me just fill you in. How about I throw a couple questions out, and you start answering them? And if you remember, God goes through this just like a couple of chapters of just unloading question after question after question after question to Job. And at the end of it, does anyone know Job's response? He has one verse. He says, I will cover my mouth and speak no more. And the end result is, is in, number 20, in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. What does that mean? Men do what? Nor a son of man that he should repent. In other words, he's not even, it's not like, 
oh, well, he's not a man. Well, he's a woman. No, no, he's not a woman. He's not a son of a woman. He's not. He is the I am. Has he said and will he not do? Because, of course, we always do what we say, right? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? If we could grasp all there was of God's wisdom, his knowledge, it would mean that we're either really, really smart or he's rather dull. And the older I get, I realize, one, I'm not that smart, and two, he's not that dull. And I think for a lot of Christians, the famine of the unknown chokes out the realities of what they do know. And we have to be careful with that. People ask me, well, Eric, what about this going on? Or what about that? Or what's the answer with this? Or what's the answer with that? I don't know. I do not know. Pam and I have been talking this week, and at times it feels like there is just a flood of negativity and flood of famine of unknowns. But what I said, I said, honey, at the end of the day, as for me and my house, what? We will worship, we will serve the Lord. And that's it. Let's finish this up. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, 3 for the road, number 3, what is your cross? So Jesus lays, like first we have this feel-good moment, hey, you're the Christ, hey, way to go, guys. Then we have Jesus turn around rebuking Peter, calling him Satan, there's all this stuff going on. But then he gets back to it again. And listen to what he says. Verse 34, and when he called, his, uh, called the people to himself with his disciples, there's others with him. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, don't take the easy way. I'm asking you, don't take the easy way. And Jesus doesn't say, well, Sherry, don't take the easy way. I'm going to. No, Jesus says, Sherry, I'm not taking the easy way, so you don't take it either. That's what he says. Take up your cross. Anyone who will follow me, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I know for Pam and I raising our kids, it didn't take very long when Pam and I realized that we raise our family and we do things a lot different than a lot of people we know. We look at money different than, differently than other people. We, look at, we looked at raising our kids differently. We spent our time differently. When other people were sending their kids to like all these incredible things and experiences during the summer, we were going with them on trips with the church. We were doing these things. Why? Because we wanted to live different. We wanted them to know what it means to take up your cross and carry it. Verse 35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. See, one of the things I think is people are living and dying for the wrong stuff. You know, I was talking with a, a, a friend of mine this week. We were talking about different things and how people react. And I remember a, a man growing up in my life who was a very wealthy man. And he could have done some really wonderful things with his wealth. He really could have. He could have blessed some people and done some things. And he actually had people who came into his life and said, you know, you could do this. But he never did. And I remember thinking that the end result is, is he was about being wealthy and about having these things. And this week my, my brother texted me. 
said, hey, I just want you to know so-and-so died. And just as he told me that, I got that text. I was reading this statement. Verse 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now listen, I don't know where this guy stood with the Lord. Only he knows in the Lord. But the end result is, is there's a lot of people chasing the golden ring. And they're going after these things. We bought our house, and remember they do a title search through the house. And I actually saw the woman who first had our house built. And I talked to the neighbor, and the neighbor used to own our plot of land. And she said, yeah, I sold the plot. And, and she remembered. She goes, yeah, this woman, she bought it. She picked out the design. She did this, did this. They had it built just the way she wanted it. But now I live there. And before I lived there, somebody else lived there. And before somebody else lived there, somebody else lived there, and then that woman lived there. But the end result is, is this woman's long gone. Someone else has her home now. Would have been nice if she would have given it to me and still paying on this thing. But my point is, is that what she was so intricately designing for herself, if she walked in now, she goes, boy, this place looks different. Who are you? I'm like, hold on, I'm going to call 911. We're going to figure out who you are. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is a big stumbling point for people. See, Jesus says, what could you possibly give God that would cause God to be required to give you salvation? What can you offer that God would go, hey, you know what? You bring so much to the table, you gotta be in heaven. Because heaven can't operate without you. What can you possibly give? I remember speaking with a man who, who proclaimed he was an atheist. And he was grilling me with all these questions. At the end of it, I said, all right, let's just say this. I said, I was willing to look at these things. And I said, if I'm wrong, you know, and there is no God, I said, well, then here's where I'm at. I said, I've loved my wife, I've loved my kids, and in general, I think I've been a decent citizen, and I've left the earth better than when I came in, at least from my perspective. He goes, okay, that's a fair point. Now I said, now what about you? What if you're wrong, and you come before God? He goes, I'm all right. I said, why are you all right? He goes, I'm a good guy. I'll go to heaven. And I said, hold on a minute. I said, you can deny the Lord your entire life, speak obnoxiously to people who do believe in the Lord, but then when you die, God's going to go, but dude, I love you so much, you got to be in here. And he was like, yeah. That's the arrogance of man. And Jesus says, hey, listen, does anyone in here think they can pass a check to me and that's going to get you in? Is anyone going to say, hey, listen, everyone else needs to receive Christ, but Segul, you are a funny guy. You're in. Come on down. Say some comedy. Do something. It doesn't work that way. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
Let's finish this up. What is your cross? Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew first and for the Greek or the non-Jew. What is your cross? What does God want from you? I truly believe he wants me to teach. I think that he wants me to help people take their faith and make the rubber hit the road in their life. That's what I believe. When I first came to know Jesus Christ, I felt like when I would read scripture, it was so confusing. And I would try and tell my friends about Jesus. And it just, I just ended up at the end of it. Everyone's like, huh, okay. And I felt like, oh my gosh, Lord, help me to explain this to people so that they can understand it. Because I understand in my head and I believe it in my heart, but I can't make it come out of my mouth. And I think God has helped me with that. But what is something you think God has put in you that would be useful to further the kingdom? What is it? Is it working with kids? Is it working in music? Is it working in volunteering? What is it? A friend of mine, you know, she's a godly woman, and she's homeschooled her kids through, through much of their life, but now in a high school, her one daughter is going to a public high school. She said, Eric, the first thing I did, I said, God, what can I do here? And she goes, God laid two things on my heart. One, I'm going to pray for my daughter. Two, I'm going to volunteer at anything I can in that school to try and help these people, bless these people, and be a light of Christ. And I went, that's what we need. That's what we need. Get in there. Do that. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. The title of my sermon this morning was Purpose and Title. Maybe today... Your title has changed for Jesus. Maybe today is a day where you've come into it and go, all right, yeah, he's a great teacher. He did some miracles, had some wonderful sayings, and they wrote a book about him. Terrific. Or maybe today you're saying, you know what? He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. My sins are forgiven. Maybe that's you today. And I'm going to tell you that if Jesus' title in your heart and in your mind has changed today, then guess what? So is your purpose. See, when I was young, people think, well, Eric, you know, did you grow up in a godly home? I really did. My parents are first-generation Christians. They were the real deal. I knew that from a young age. And I would go in church and out of church. And when I was young, my mom bought me this Bible that was probably this big and it was hard covered. And I remember that I liked looking at the pictures and reading out of it. And I also could club my brother over the head with it. I went in and out of church. I'd go to the VBS things. They would say, hey, who wants to receive Christ? Oh, I will for the 50th time. Yeah, sure. I received Christ. But then all of a sudden... I understood who he is. And that moment I understood who he is, all of a sudden I realized, holy cow, one, I'm a sinner, and two, I want to be in a relationship with him. And suddenly this came alive. How many people remember that moment? When all of a sudden you start reading, you go, wait a minute, now I start to understand. Wow, look at this. And then all of a sudden you go to other Christians like, oh my gosh, have you read this? My whole life I've been reading it. I just started reading This is really good. More people should read it. Yes. But what's holding you back? 
See, if I said to Bob Hofer today, hey, Bob, I bought this Christmas gift for you, and I didn't see you over Christmas, so I got this great gift that I'm going to bring up here on stage, and, and please make sure you get it. And Bob goes, wow, Eric, it's wrapped nice. It's really nice. And in my heart, it, Eric, it makes me feel good that you thought of me. There's not a gift. I didn't do it. But, but the point of it is, is if it's sat up here week after week after week after week, and everyone's going, why doesn't Bob take the gift? Is it Bob's gift? Well, not really until he takes it. And so many of you, God has got a gift for you. God is saying, listen, today I've helped you understand who I am. And I have a gift for you. And are you willing to say, I'm going to take the gift. I'm going to take the gift. I tell people that if you want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, I always say, well, it's the ABCs. You admit that you're a sinner. Listen, that's the easiest one. Good gracious. If you don't think you're a sinner, talk to someone who knows you and loves you, and they will let you know. Right? B is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's to believe his title. And in C is to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to grab that gift. I'm going to use it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to let him change me. Today I was driving over with Pam. We were having a conversation. Midstream in a sentence, I changed what I was going to say to her. She said, thank you for changing the way you said that. I didn't change the way I said that. He did. He did. Why? Because he's working on me. He's working on me. All these years later, he's still working. He's got a lot to do. <laughs> but what is your cross? A lot of people say, well, listen, I'm willing to do anything for the Lord. And I think the first thing the Lord's saying is, whoa, 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 do you know who I am? You want to do things. I just want you to be with me. Have you ever missed someone tremendously? And then when they come and you're with them, you don't even necessarily want to talk. You just want to be near them. You just want to look at them and see them. I remember missing one of my boys one time. We went out to lunch, and he had just been gone and doing all these things. He's eating his lunch. I'm sitting across the table. I'm just looking at him. Finally, at one moment, he looks at me and goes, dude. I said, I just miss you. He goes, well, will you eat? You're kind of freaking me out. And sometimes I think the Lord's saying, will you just sit here? Look at me. I need you. I've got a plan for you. Yeah, but Lord, I got, I know. I know all that stuff. I want to pray. And then here's the interesting thing that I really believe, and I want you to know, I don't want everyone ever to feel bad for me because I don't feel bad. God has told me, hey, Eric, you know what? You teach and say the things that I want you to say. And in whatever happens, that's on me. In other words, Jesus says, Eric, you do what I tell you to do. And in whatever happens, that's on me. So, Eric, if you think something tremendous happens, guess what? That's all my glory. And if you feel like something didn't happen, well, then I guess, Eric, you can blame me. But either way... I get the glory, I get the grief. Eric, you just do what I ask you to do. So 
I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask that you pray. And silently, maybe you need to make that prayer today. Maybe you need to say, hey, you know what? I admit, I believe, and I commit. I understand who Jesus is, and maybe for just a moment I am seeing clearly, and I'm going to take the gift. I'm going to take the gift. And then after I pray, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I feel like all week you've been laying this on my heart. Uh, Lord, what will happen, I don't know. That's not really my business. It's yours. So Lord, I'm going to mind my business. And all I'm going to say is this, Lord, that I know that the most powerful prayer, the most powerful communication, the most powerful interaction I ever had with you was when I admitted that I was a sinner. Lord, it was when I believed that Jesus is who he says he is. Lord, when the title went from being, oh, he's just God, to being Messiah, to being Emmanuel, I believe. And C was to take this relationship, this new relationship, and I committed my life to following you, to understanding, to learning, to loving, to caring, to asking you to transform me. Lord, a lot of people think that commitment seems like a hard thing. It is a hard thing, but it's been wonderful for me. I debate whether it's good for you, but it's been great for me. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that right now they're saying, you know what, Lord? I've called you Lord, but I've never called you Savior. I've called you Lord, but I've never called you Emmanuel. I've called you Lord, but I've never called you Christ. Well, I've called you Lord, but I've never called you my Father. Lord, that right now there would be people in this room who would admit, believe, and commit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, here's the next thing I'm going to do. In Romans 1, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation. Salvation. And I know that when I was younger, I did this. And it really meant, meant it in my heart. So I'm going to ask, if there's anyone who said that prayer, I would ask you to stand up. And I would ask you to stand up because I'm going to tell you something. You will never have an easier crowd to stand up in front of because the vast majority of people in this room know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, but I don't want to suggest that everyone does. But if God has laid it on your heart this morning to stand up, I would like you to stand up. If anyone wants to do that. And again... It's not my business. It's his business. But I just want every person to have an opportunity. So if that's you today, stand up. Acknowledge him. I knew you would stand. Rich, when you emailed me, probably a month and a half ago, there was a part of me that was a little bit weirded out, right? But Rich, this is the thing. When I talk with you and you told me 
that it was your uncle or your grandfather who told you to go to a Bible preaching church was the first thing you needed to do in your life. Your uncle. I remember thinking, God's doing something. So here's what I'm going to do. Rich, I want you to come up here. Now, now I'm going to put you on the spot. But this is the thing. Turn around here for a second. We have this tendency in life to think, hey, if I step out, I'm by myself. I'm alone. And the reality is, is Satan would want you to think that. He wants you to think, hey, Rich, you're in the solo. There's no one else that believes this kooky, crazy Jesus stuff. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, no, I'm moving. So here's what I want you to do. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to stand up and I want you to come up here and stand here. The worship team, Paul, you guys can get yourselves ready. Because here's the point. You're never alone. You have a family. You have a biological family. You have a spiritual family. Thank God for uncles. Thank God for people who would say, dude, you know what you need to do with your life? Get yourself to a Bible preaching church and come to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Now I'm going to tell you something. You got some great things going for you. You got a guy like Lee to pour into you. I'm going to tell you, this guy's been a blessing to me. He's been a blessing to my kids. You got a blessing right there. You've got people who are prayer warriors, like my friend over here, Trouble. Right? <laughs> You've got people praying for you. You've got people like Bob Vite. You've got people like Bob Hofer. People who are important to you, love you, care for you. You've got a community. You're never alone. You have family. You have family. And so I want you to know that today, if none of these people were here and we had no music and it was just me and you and you were the person who stood up, it's totally worth it. Why? Because you're valuable. God sent his son. So listen, let's turn, let's sing, let's worship the Lord. We're going to close in a song. And then when we're done, everybody's going to be up rich for wearing a 49ers shirt. No, everyone, everyone's going to give them a hug. Everyone, everyone's gonna, everyone's I'm proud of you. On me. I'm proud of you, brother. Hey, let's sing. <laughs>